Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Well, brethren, to begin today, I would like for you to think of a mother, a nursing mother. Think about it for a moment and think in your mind what kind of picture that portrays. The motives that she has for nursing a baby, the attitude that she has in nursing a baby. And I'm sure that you understand how tender that scene can be. Unfortunately, there are some mothers who are not quite as tender as what we picture in our minds. There are some mothers that would be impatient, tough, rough with the baby. And I don't think I would need to guess too much to guess the answer to the question, which of the two mothers would you like to be if you were a mother, a nursing mother? Would you like to be the compassionate one, the one who has a motive of love toward the baby, the one who is tenderly taking care of the baby or the one who's rough, tough, uh, telling the baby, hey, you stop crying, you blank, blank, blank. I think I know which one you would like to be. And I would like for you to keep that illustration in mind because there are a couple of other things about that that perhaps we have not yet thought about. But it will come out of the context of this passage momentarily. Just keep that illustration in mind, keep that situation in mind, and perhaps a couple of things will surprise you. But one of the things that we hear oftentimes about Christianity and the sharing and the preaching of the gospel is that it is like the second mother, rough, tough, insensitive, uncaring. And uh, especially when the gospel is presented with the conviction that unless you... Unless you preach fire and brimstone, people will never listen to the gospel and never be convicted by the gospel. So let me see. Let's change the illustration for a moment and think of a father. Think of a Zeus-type father. Okay? Think of a father who is waiting for the first opportunity to zap you, to get you. A tough one. Maybe a sergeant or something like that. And then in that toughness and roughness says, come here. Come to me. I don't know. You know, when I was a little boy, if my father were to tell me, come to me in a certain voice, <laughs> I would start running around the table, <laughs> away from him, not toward him. Remember? 
perhaps you had similar experiences to that. But if you had a father who called you with a tender voice, who called you with grace, you may say, I want to be there. I remember one time I learned how my role needed to change with my children is when I felt the hand of one of my child, one of my children tightening around my hand so tight. And I turned down and I asked her, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'm just, I'm okay. And then the grip tightened a little more. And I realized she's relying on me to protect her, to shield her from danger. And I can only do that with grace, not by adding more to the scenario. And Paul here, in, as he writes to the Thessalonians, he's, he's not just making excuses or justifying himself, but he's addressing some rumors that were going around, rumors that seemed to be coming from outside the congregation, outside the church, that he had ulterior motives. Now, have you ever heard people saying about Christians that Christians have ulterior motives? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They butter you up, but then they're going to catch you. I remember my father telling me that as I started reading the Bible. So let's look at what he says and understand what our attitude through his model, through his example, and through what God gave him to share with us, how our approach should be as we take part in the work that God is doing in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Paul says here, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. So the first thing he says in, as he starts this new part of his letter, he says that, well, look, you are the witnesses yourselves. You have seen it yourselves in, with your own eyes that we did not come to waste your time. And our coming to you, our visit to you, our work with you and in you was not just for nothing. It was not wasted. God's word is not wasted unless it is distorted. And verse 2, then he says, But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. And here we find the first lesson in this passage. Oftentimes I hear people say, Well, I, you know, I don't, I'm not comfortable in sharing my faith. I'm not comfortable in telling people that I'm a Christian, especially at work. I'm not comfortable... It seems like everything in this life is about being comfortable. Can you find a passage in Scripture where it says that our calling is to be comfortable? And I'll give you a thousand dollars if you do that. Promise. But not your own version of the Bible, okay? <laughs> Notice that his trip was not a vacation. Let me tell you what happened. Let's go to Acts chapter 16 and verse 19. And he's talking about when Paul, what God, through Paul, I should say, freed a slave girl from his spirit. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe. 
being Romans. And the crowds rose up against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off, and then proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Listen, I'm being struck with a number of different things, but never with rods, although judging by the pain I experienced with other things, I would say that a rod would do quite a bit of damage. And when they had struck them with many blows, so not just a couple of them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And then I love the next verse. I really like it because it tells me an awful lot about the attitude that we should all have about our calling in Christ. But around midnight, Paul and Silas, Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. I know, many of us would be doing something different. Many of us would be there griping and complaining, Oh, look, man, what have I done to deserve this? Lord, why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you protecting me? And I, am I not working for you? Am I not sharing your word? I'm not comfortable here. They were singing hymns of praise to God in those circumstances. Food for thought, brothers and sisters, food for thought. But then God, Paul, God strengthened him, and, and Paul shared with the Thessalonians that as they were mistreated in Philippi, we had the boldness in our God. Where did he find the strength? Where did he find the boldness that he needed to continue in his ministry? In God. To speak to you the gospel of God, not the gospel of Paul, not the gospel of Silas, but the gospel of God, amid much opposition. So did he go from a, a situation in Philippi to a vacation or a, a rest in Thessalonica? No, because he found much opposition in Thessalonica as well. It was not easy. Definitely not a vacation. Verse 3, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Well, here's a second lesson for us. We are not called to share error, but truth. We are not called to share the gospel or anything about God with impure motives, with, with the heart that is set for other things, in other words, with an agenda. But we're called to have clean motives, pure motives. And we're not to present the gospel with deceit. You say, how can you present the gospel with deceit? Well, you make it look like something different, and then you kind of use the, the bait-and-switch type of techniques that I've heard some people using. And You know, Paul was moved by God to be straightforward, clear. No beating around the bushes. Say the way it is. And listen, there is no other way to say the awesome news of the gospel and beat around the bushes with it. For example... Earlier we, we heard that it is such a privilege to be able to present ourselves before the throne of God. And that's quite true, because that's what we do now, right? But how often do we realize and share the fact that we are destined to be not just in front of the throne of God, but Jesus said, you will be sitting with me on my throne. 
You will be sitting with me on my throne, sharing everything I have and sharing everything I do because I'm going to do it with you because we're going to be one. How can you beat around the bushes with that? Revelation 19 calls him the king of kings and the lord of lords. Who are those kings and lords? You are. How can you beat around the bushes with that? It needs to be stated straightforward. That and so much more. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. That's a very interesting statement in there if we, if we really understand and realize what that means, what he's saying. First of all, it says that they have been, had been approved by God. Now, in the Greek, the word approved, and translated approved here, actually means shown by testing to be genuine. It's like a seal of approval that you give after serious testing of a product or an individual. It's just going for an exam, and after the exam, you finally get approved or, you know, vetted to, to do something that you wanted to do. But here, God tested them and tested their hearts. And their hearts being found genuine and sincere toward God and toward the gospel, then God entrusted the gospel to them. So here's the first question. What is our heart all about? Would our heart stand that test? Put it in another way. What are you here for? Honestly, sincerely, deep down, what are you here for? Are you here because you like the fellowship? Are you here like somebody told me years ago? Hey, you know, Pastor, don't rock the boat because we like the fellowship in here. We like our card games in here. You come to church to play cards? I mean, listen, I play cards with my wife at home, but I come to church for God. Not to play cards, not to have that kind of fellowship, not to play games. You come in here because you think you're going to get something from God? Like I heard an individual come up and say, well, listen, I've been coming to church regularly for four months now, and the blessing I've been asking from God for has not yet come. But yeah, you know what? We live in a, in a society that, that, that seems to be all geared toward marketing and toward commerce, where you, you pay some, you get some, you know, you buy and get. Yeah, it doesn't work with God. There's nothing you can do that would ever buy you, his grace. There's nothing you could possibly do on the face of the earth in all eternity that could ever possibly make you deserve what he has offered to you. So what are we here for? That's what Paul is addressing there. Would your heart be approved with the genuineness of your heart as being here for him, to serve him, to give your life to him, to give your service to him, to share that gift that God has given you with others within the body of Christ, while well, that heart, that genuine heart, will be tested. And if approved, then God is going to entrust you with the opportunities that you need to share that with others. But what are we going to share? Deceit? What are we going to share? Errors? Ulterior motives? That's, that's not part of the gospel. So that's why God tests our hearts. God wants to use a clean vessel. And that's what we're called to be in Christ. 
And so he continues, it says, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. And by the way, I don't know if you, maybe you're using a different translation that may be a little more apparent, but that word examines is the same Greek word as the previous one approved. That means that God continues to test our hearts and to approve them or examine them. That's interesting. So we're called to speak. We're called to participate in what God does, not for what we get out of it. Not to please man, because, hey, you know what? It's kind of interesting. It would be kind of fun and tickling, perhaps, our ego if we had the recognition of people. Somebody one day told me, listen, aren't you a little bit more overqualified to, to pass through a tiny, teeny little church in a corner of a not-so-good neighborhood, you know, with an awning and it's falling apart. By the way, we're praying that God will give us an opportunity to change it soon. And things that are, you know, the floors that creak and move a little bit. So? So what? Is there such thing, perhaps, as being overqualified to serve Christ? Is there such thing, perhaps, and say, I am too proud, I am too big, I am too important to do what the Lord has called me to do? No. We are where God placed us for a reason. He has a work that he's doing, and he's giving us the awesome privilege of being part of that. And who are we to tell God, sorry, God, you made a mistake. No, he didn't. We're here for a reason. And that reason is extremely important. And that reason is making a difference in the community. And that reason and the work that God is doing in and through us is making a real impact, is giving a real impact in a community that really desperately needed it. It's not for no reason that we have people from everywhere else in the community, many other churches and and non-church people, that come to us for help. Why do you think they come to us for help? Do you think it's because we're better than everybody else? Or do you suppose that perhaps it's because the Lord is doing a work in this community and is using us as an instrument of his grace to do that work? So it's not about us. And it's not about how important we look in the eyes of the other people. It's not about the crowds that we attract. It's about the truth that we share and the reason we share that for. We are not here to boast ourselves. We are not here to to be flattered. We are not here to be important. We are here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, our Savior. And it's all about Him. And that's the kind of examinations of a heart that God looks with. When, when we're sincere in that, God will open doors in front of you that you can't even imagine. After all, who are we serving? Who are you serving? Aren't you serving the creator and sustainer of the entire universe? And do you think there is a door, a single door, that is too hard for him to open in front of you? So you might think, okay, why is God not opening a door? Maybe the reason God is not opening that door is because we are not passing the test. Because of our motives. Maybe we want to go through that door so we can have a following. Brothers and sisters, if I ever, mark my words, if I ever, ever ask you to follow me, run. Hit the door and run. If anybody else ever asks you to follow them, hit the door and run. Run out the window if you have to. But run. 
Because there is only one that you should follow. And you know who that is. Your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For we never came with flattering speech, Paul says, as you know, nor with a pretest for greed. And God is witness of that. I can't see Paul approaching people as a pretest for greed. But I guess some people did not know him. And perhaps it was... It seems clear that some, maybe outside of that community, outside of that church, were implying, oh yeah, he comes over here, but he's got ulterior motives. He's actually there to exploit you. Are we here to flatter people? And are we here to be gentle and be careful? We're not here to be that Zeus type of father or that nasty type of mother that we described earlier. But we're not here to flatter either. God has called us to the truth, and the truth is the truth. And, and what makes us free is the truth. You know, sometimes people say, well, you've got to be nice. You, you, know, you don't want to tell the people the way they really are and so on. Well, let me share something with you. I've talked to so many people. And usually, when I bring to them what their problem is, now, I don't hit it on their heads, of course. I don't want to be that nursing mother that tosses the baby back to the grave. Yeah, go away from me. No. We don't hit them on the head, but we let them know with grace, and in grace we'll let them know what the problem is. And you know what happens at that point? At that point, their face changes. And you see the stress leaving. And you usually think, ah, so that's what it is. And they're so eager to see what God says about how that can be resolved. The truth sets you free. Not flattery. What about greed? Well, I, I don't think I need to tell you much about that. If we were here for greed, we would be doing a lousy job, wouldn't we? And if you don't believe me, ask Richard, <laughs> our treasurer. You know, ask him and how many heart attacks. You know, I, I'm beginning to think that perhaps his heart problems are due to the fact that he's a treasurer here. I don't know. But, you know, if you think we're here for greed, then think it again. That's probably a reason why I have two other jobs. Nor, verse 6, do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though, as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. So does an apostle of Jesus Christ have a certain degree of authority? Yeah. Do they use it? Do they flaunt it? Do they claim it? Do they present it and put it in front of your face? Hey, you don't know who I am. You don't know who I'm speaking to. And back in the old days, in the old churches, you see chairs that are so much higher than the rest of the other ones because that's where the guy that is so important sits, right? And I'm thinking, oh boy, stick a Bible up there. Put the Lord up there, maybe, something that reminds you of him. Give me a chair down here at your level. Now, I'm a few inches above so that everybody can see me, even the little ones that are behind others. But beyond that, please. We're brothers and sisters. We're in the same boat, are we? So what kind of glory are we looking for? I remember one, one individual one day says, I want, I want to become a pastor. I said, oh, that's wonderful. That's good. That's great news. I mean, God says it's a good thing that you desire in that case. Yeah, because my psychologist says I can't hold a job, and therefore he said I should do something easy. <laughs> and you still trust your psychologist? And who gave him that degree? Go and tell him a couple of things. 
And by the way, it was just happening around the time in an article in, I think it was Psychology Today or something like that. It was talking about stress and jobs. An article came out and put pastors just below air traffic control in terms of stress. And I'm thinking, ah, I got a couple of news for you. First of all, your motives is wrong. Your motive is absolutely wrong. Second, have you ever read the Bible? Read what the Apostle Paul went through. No, we're not here for the glory, nor for other things like that. But we are not even here to boast authority. So what are we here for? Verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. All right, earlier I asked you to think about that picture, to think about that image, but there is something about that perhaps you have not thought about. What if that mother nursing a child is malnourished? What if, if, if that mother nursing a child is eating a lot of toxic stuff? What's going on now? What happens to the child? Is the child well-fed? Is the child going to be healthy? You know how many warnings you have in different products? If you are nursing, if you're pregnant or nursing, please consult your physicians before you use this. People tend to be very careful about what they take. But there's one thing that is clear. In order to be a good nursing mother, you need to be well-nourished yourself. And it's not a selfish matter, is it? Because if you're not well-nourished yourself, you cannot nourish the baby. So here it is. If you want to share the gospel of God, if you want to share the, the word of God, why don't you nourish yourself with it? And make sure that you know that you know that you know what you know about God, and then share it. Because a good nourishment, spiritual nourishment for you, will then come through you, through your approach, through your life, through your words, through your example, and will be used by God. Food for thought, isn't it? But if you put in your heart a lot of toxic stuff, I wouldn't even begin to tell you the, 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 the things I heard about that Christians do. I'm a Christian, yeah, but... <laughs> then here follows a number of things that would make your hair stand up. They have absolutely nothing to do with the fellowship we have in Christ, and it's like toxic poison being taken in. And what do you think is going to come out? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say that out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak? So if we fill our heart with toxic things, what do you think is going to come out? But Paul continues, and as far as we are concerned in our passage for today, concludes that thought by saying, yeah, we prove to be gentle among you. So we're talking about a tender mother. As a nursing mother, obviously if she cares, she also is going to nourish herself to be able to nourish the child. Tenderly caring for her own children. I sometimes love that picture. Because, no, I love that picture. But sometimes I think of the women that I've seen, the mothers that I've seen in my family and around me, and, and how patient they are with the baby. I remember in the stress of my work, the baby waking up at night, and I would go, <gasps> not again. My wife would get up and say, hey, take it easy. I only just need a little comfort, a little pat on the back to know that we are here, that it's okay. And sure enough, the baby wouldn't come down. I'm thinking if I were to pick up the baby, I'd probably scream a lot more, 10 times more, because ah, 
feels all the stress, right? I admire that in a mother. I admire that because that's the attitude that we should have, the patience that we should have with the people around us that don't understand our lingo, that don't understand our inner culture of inner Christianity, that don't understand the theology that we want to share. I mean, just one more example, then I conclude, please. I remember one time as I was teaching a class at Grace Communion Seminary, I was teaching a class, it was an individual who was a friend of a major theologian, I won't put names down there, but it was a friend of a major theologian, it was in one of my classes, a class that, by the way, required a certain approach, because it was class that it was teaching ministry to people, people like, like all of us. And he kept using big language. So one day I, conf- I had to confront him and I said, listen, do, do you really think that the people in your congregation will respond to this language? Now, you and I may understand it, but as far as they are concerned, all you're really doing is to put yourself on a pedestal and showing your own pride. Look how knowledgeable I am. Look how important I am. Look what a good theologian I am. Listen, let's be real. There's in one awesome theologian who had all theology perfect. It's the only one I know that had a perfect theology, and he did not flaunt it, and that was Jesus Christ, who brought that theology to work at the level of the people, making it simple to understand. Our job is not to impress. Our job is to nurture. And as we nurture, we need to be understood. You don't take a baby for crying aloud and give him a steak. You give him milk. Right? If anything, you, mother, eat the steak to get the proteins and the other nourishment that you need in your body to feed your baby, but you give him the milk, not the steak. What's wrong with this one-month-old baby that's not eating the steak here? You're getting the point. Our job is to nurture them, not to impress them. So if you come to me and say, well, pastor, but I don't have the education that you have, and I say, praise God. Why? Because perhaps if you understand what I'm sharing with you and you can then translate it in a way that your people around you can understand that you've done an awesome job. An awesome job. I'm a friend of a very well-known theologian too. And sometimes we share some things and we use a different lingo. I don't use it with you. Okay? But I am very pleased. I am so glad that God has brought us together and that God has given us that connection because it's an important connection. But I will never, ever, ever say, guys, let me have him come over here and preach that way to you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) All right? I would talk to him and say, scale it down. Now, I know him well enough that, you know, I can joke, but he would scale it down, okay? If he were to come over here and address you, he would scale it down. But if he didn't, I would have a chat with him. <laughs> Verse 8. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. What's the motive at work in here? Isn't that the love of God? Doesn't that reflect what Romans 5, 5 says, that the, the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that it, it will fill us and flow from us, as Jesus would say, at like rivers of living water? What is the job of a leader if not to love you to the point of being willing to give his life for you? 
Yeah, but, you know, it's not comfortable when somebody calls you at 1 a.m. and says, I need to talk to you. No, it's not comfortable. I'll confess that. It's not comfortable. But if you love that person, if you care that person, you're willing to get up and talk. So what are we seeing today? That God's work is not in vain. It is not something that we do for our benefit or gain, but it's an expression of a love of God flowing through us. And by the way, if you have a Holy Spirit, God has filled you with his love as well. What you need to do is to let it flow from you and express it. Because it's not something that is there to stagnate. God is the one who gives us the boldness that we need to participate in what he does, to share the gospel, to share the good news. Good news. We are to share truth, not error. We are to to address people and to connect with people with pure and clear motives, not for something that is not right or impure. In a straightforward way, not through deceit. We're called to follow God, not man, to seek God's approval, not fame or, or prosperity or other things of that nature. Now, if God blesses you, you're blessed. But let, not, let that blessing not be your motive, your goal, as we go out and minister to our communities. Let his love move you to grow, not for your own gain. For not, we shouldn't grow for our own gain. No, we shouldn't grow so that we can say, oh, look, look how... how tall I am, how big I am, how important I am. No, we should grow so that through that grow we can minister to others better, more effectively. Let that grow be an expression of the love of God. I want to grow so that I can serve you better. I want to continue learning so I can share more with you. I want to be nourished so you can be nourished as a result of that too. And I think that's an attitude that we should all share. Our ministry, after all, is an expression of the love of God, a giving of ourselves for the benefit of those that we serve in Christ. That's love. A giving of yourself for the benefit of the other and in Christ. So let's be like the nursing mother that Paul describes. Let's be like the nursing mother who takes good care of herself so that she can share and nourish the baby and the children that she has in a proper way. And you say, wait a minute, I'm not the pastor. I'm not called to do that. Yes, you are. You're called to ministry as well. You know that very well. We talked about it plenty enough. And you are a mother, like that nursing mother to many around you. People are watching you. People see you wherever you go. And whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you think in those moments, it reflects on the one who is in you, Jesus Christ. So nourish yourself, represent him well, and share that. Share that living water with everyone around you.